Hello, 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 and welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where we help passionate people create stable income with flexible schedules by getting ideal nonprofit clients with the best grant writing and nonprofit sales strategies in the industry. My name is Holly Rustic, and I went from working 50 plus hours per week as a grant writer inside a nonprofit, living paycheck to paycheck, to opening my own freelance grant writing business and only working part-time hours, earning more than I ever had before. Inside our programs, the Freelance Grant Writer Academy and the Grant Professional Mentorship, I have helped more than 100 changemakers get out of toxic 9-to-5 jobs and replace their full-time incomes while working part-time as a grant writer from home and around the world. Simply by learning how to write grants through our grants writing formula and implementing our unique approach to nonprofit sales. Join these aspiring and seasoned grant writers so you too can secure ideal nonprofit clients with cause areas that you fully believe in, get them massive funding, and be able to set your own schedule and revenue goals. Be sure to join our weekly email newsletter, The Freelance Grant Writer Hub Haven, where you get stress-free nuggets on the financial stability components and skills of being a freelance grant writer. Plus, you get updates about the Freelance Grant Writer Academy. Just go to grantwritingandfunding.com to subscribe. And now let's get ready for the most bold, empowering, and approachable coaching and conversations you've ever heard. Let's create a higher standard of stability freedom, and legacy together. Hello, hello, hello. It's Holly Rustic here with Grant Writing and Funding, and and welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where we help grant writers get out of toxic jobs and actually master their skills and open up freelance grant writing businesses where they can earn six figures in a year in our 12-month program. We absolutely love the Freelance Grant Writer Academy, so for more information, jump over to grantwritingandfunding.com join our waitlist, or you can join our free hub haven and get a stress-free grant ready nugget every single week. Man, those are valuable nuggets as well. All right, so for today's episode, we have Miss Stephanie Sample, who is CEO founder at Fundraising for the Future. And she's on the podcast today, and we're going to actually talk about several things, okay? We're going to talk about her business plan. So she actually implements a 12 to 18 month business plan, and that's really helped her business grow. So she's going to give you some of the brick and mortar behind this business plan. So this is definitely great for all of you freelance grant writers out there, nonprofit consultants. And then she's also going to, so she's going to give you some money stuff, all right? Money stuff and understanding expenses and so much more. We're also going to talk about burnout as a as an owner of your business. And we're going to talk about how to get in front of that through your business plan. So for more information today, definitely jump over to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 309. You can find out more about Steph over there and all of the great things she's doing at fundraising for the future. All right, here's Steph. To get us started, I always like our guests to kind of give a little background, like what got you into your business today? Sure. So I was a fundraiser for a couple of years for different organizations. And then one day I met a nonprofit fundraising consultant and she was moving in the space in a totally different way. She was working for multiple organizations and she was actually exiting the field to get her master's in public health. Mm. 
I asked her for an informational interview and we sat down and talked about what it was like to be a fundraising consultant. And she really opened my eyes to the amount of freedom and satisfaction and challenge that was tied into running your own nonprofit consultancy. Mm -hmm. And that cracked the door for me and planted the seed for a vision to start my own consultancy, which didn't germinate until about two years later when I had come to the end of my rope as an in-house grant writer and I was feeling like I needed something more. So that was got what got me started. So thank you, Jessica Haney, Three Stones Consulting, now MPH. <laughs> love that. I love that so much. So, and part of that you said was the freedom like associated with that. So can you kind of like dive a little deep in there for a second and be like, what were really, and it took two years. So was it two years of planning? Was it two years of just feeling too uncomfortable, you know, (laughs) that you had to move? Like what was part of like the main value led driven decisions behind that? That's such a great question. And I think about it as my why, and lots of people have a why for starting their consultancy questions, why are there so many layers of authority? Or why are my fundraising targets always moving? Or why is there no room for innovation outside of a template? Or why are why are there favoritism games being played inside of my organization? Or why are all the fundraisers primarily women in their 30s? Mm. Things like that. So lots and lots of whys. For me, it was connected to freedom around innovation. Mm-hmm. So I was a problem solver in my organizations and I was also a disruptor. So I pointed to things that weren't working and highlighted them. And that wasn't always comfortable. People yeah. wanted to continue with the status quo. And I thought, you know, this is really, really interesting. I I felt like I didn't quite fit. And it was an outside consultant, a 360 consultant that was brought in to evaluate the last organization I was fundraising for. And she said to me, you know, you would do really well as a consultant. She said, no one's going to listen to you when you're inside the organization, but if you're outside of it, they will pay you for your perspective. She told me that point blank when I was still an employee. And it brought me back to my conversation with the freelancer. And I called her up and I said, I don't know how to get started. She offered me her numbers, her, her actual business numbers for three years and sent me a spreadsheet. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I know. It was so generous. Yeah, it was very generous. Oh, I love that. So then you you took two years to kind of like be processing through these whys and then to be like, hey, now I'm hearing this a couple of times and this sounds really appealing. Like this fits who I am, right? Like that's amazing. So that that led to then opening your business. Like, let's talk about that. How was that? How did you? Sure, year one. So I went from making $52,000 a year and working about 50, 55 hours a week to Mm -hmm. making $40,000 a year and Mm -hmm. working about 40 hours a week. And I was scared, Holly, to lose Mm -hmm. that $10,000 but I was so much happier. And at the end of the day, I think my biggest takeaway from year one was time is more valuable than money. Yeah. My, my free time and my peace of mind made up for that loss in salary. And there's a certain amount of privilege that's tied to that, right? Because it didn't directly impact my ability to provide for a family or to take care of my health or to provide shelter and food and clothing for myself. But that was my big takeaway was, 
oh my goodness, my time, my time is more valuable. My serenity is more valuable than that $10,000. So that was year one. Year two, I made $80,000. Doubled it. And took a four month maternity leave. Nice. So you, you eliminated a lot of time. You took out a lot of time too. Wow, that's awesome. And that was that was really what forced me to subcontract. I don't think I would have started subcontracting if I didn't want to take time off like that. So I was forced into this place of having to figure out how to delegate work to take care of my clients so that I could be a mom. Yeah. Can, can we talk about that for a minute? Because I think that's so interesting because it wasn't just the maternity leave that you took off. You were pregnant as well. Like during that time, like, let's be real. There's like, you know, some days with that, no matter if you handle pregnancy well, or if it's really hard on your body, right? You know what I mean? Like, um, there's definitely a reality to what it does for your energy levels and all of that. But you had a $10,000 basically like, you know, rate cut, right? So all of a sudden you went from the 52 to the 40 and you were pregnant at some point in this journey in that year two, right? In year one-ish, right? Going into year two. So how was that, like, were you leveraging then going, yeah, but I'm able to take off this time? Like, how was that on your mind? Because you're because that could bring you to scarcity real quick. Like, I got to take care of this baby, right? And I'm losing money. Like, yeah. I mean, that's really connected to my love for business planning because wow. when I got pregnant, I had been six months in business. So I had a website. I had my first anchor client, which if you're a freelance grant writer, I stand firmly by the idea of an anchor client, someone who gives you 50 to 60% of your target income for the year that you can fill around. So I had my anchor client. I didn't have the rest of my clients for the year. And I had begun to put my name out there in the community in Albuquerque and in the broader Santa Fe, New Mexico state nonprofit circles as a grant writing consultant. So that groundwork had been laid. And I think the second half of the year was really creating that plan for, all right, how am I going to take care of my clients when I take time off? And there's something so mysterious and satisfying about building a business plan 12 to 18 months out because mm -hmm. it is really a process of um, imperfection, right? You're just forecasting. You're doing your very best to forecast what's going to happen and there's no way to know. So you have to make educated estimations and also think clearly about what do I want? And that's the hardest part to really get to. What do I want 12 to 18 months from now? It's, it's not a place our brain just wanders into. I'm not, you know, I'm going to think about 18 months from now. That'll be fun. It's more like, what are we going to have for dinner? I don't know. <laughs> That's a hard decision. <laughs> I love that. So, so that kind of like may kind of put you into a situation. I won't say force, but put you in a situation where you're like, okay, I do have something coming. I do need a plan long-term and I need to figure something out. Like I just can't like every day. It's not just me anymore. Like I've got things, you know, like things I do need to take off time and I do need to set these up. Is that when you put your business plan in action? It is. It's when I, when I first started my business plan. So the initial business plan came from the consultant who shared her numbers with me. Nice. I pulled her categories into my initial business plan. So I hadn't really thought about things like health insurance, my telephone bill, my home office reimbursement, that I would have to carry insurance as a, an LLC. I hadn't thought about including 
uh, line item for someone to help me with my taxes. So mm -hmm. all of the expenses that it, it would have been trial by fire for me had I not had a chance to look at her spreadsheet. So the initial spreadsheet came from her. And then as I began to plan that into that 12 and 18 month window, um, I, I built off of those numbers and said, all right, so if the target income is going to be X and this is going to partially subsidize maternity leave, how, how many clients do I need to have? How much can I afford to pay someone to support me? When do I need to come back? And then one of the things that I love about, um, I love about your talking about your business growth is you talk about accountability with a group of like-minded people and mm -hmm. being in community. And so I, I built that community. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't readily available as much as it is today with your grant professional mentorship, with Learn Grant Writings Hub. I mean, every, we have a few distinct hubs in our, in our grant writing consultant community that can provide that, that accountability, but I did build it for myself. I love that. I love that so much. And I love how you go back to the numbers, how like important numbers are as part of your business plan, right? And part of your projections. And I love too that you're like, it's a projection. It's not just set in stone either, right? And a lot of people, even in grant, grant writers kind of get hung up sometimes when they're developing budgets because they're like, it has to be so meticulous. And I'm like, it's a forecast, y'all. It is a projected budget. And there's usually modifications and all the things. And we just have to be aware of that. Yeah, you want to plan as much as you can with those educated, you know, assumptions, like you said, and educated kind of ways and determining that, but it is projected and it, there is, you know, it's dynamic. You can change it. You can wiggle around, you can course correct, you can do things. So having a budget helped you with your business plan, right? This 12 to 18 month business plan. What else did you include in your business plan? Or are you like, a, you got to have this in your business plan for a successful business or as far as about how you've made your business successful? Mm, that's really interesting. I included how many hours I wanted to work. Mm -hmm. I also included some guiding values. So mission and vision is part of how I make decisions about who I'm going to work with and how. I feel like one mistake I made as an early consultant was to say yes to everything. And mm. as someone who could wear many hats, I didn't know how to screen for jobs or clients that were a good fit for me. And yeah. so having a set of guiding values that I put into my business plan can serve as a screen when I go through the process of deciding whether or not I'm going to work with someone. I go back to the guiding values to say, is this in alignment with how I want to operate how I want to show up, the kind of work I want to do, what I want to earn. Yeah, I love, I love that because yeah, that's so important, and that's that's something I see a lot too. And I was guilty of doing that in the beginning, was saying yes to everything, right? That came my way because it's money, right? <laughs> so, but it wasn't always the best at all. <laughs> and you know, it's really interesting because people talk a lot about how much they earn, and they'll say, "Oh, I earned six figures. Oh, I earned seven figures." But what I come back to is. If you earn a million dollars and you spend a million in one, you're still losing a dollar. Exactly. So someone says to me, they, you know, I made a million dollars grant writing. Wonderful. How much did you spend making that million dollars? You know, what is your profit margin? And there's a great book by, by Michael McCallowitz called, um, Profit first. profit first. We do that art in our academy. <laughs> we, we, yeah, I, yeah. I love it's so brilliant because instead of saying income minus expenses equals profit, and at the end of the day, you're left with whatever whatever you happen to have left over, 
making the profit a goal and saying income minus profit equals what I'm willing to pay on the business, that really changed the way I think about it. Yeah, me too. And and just the way my accounts are set up, right? Like, because I think a lot of people as a consultant, especially if you're not really understanding all your expenses, like you have mapped out, right? You know, oh yeah, I accounted for this and this and this and this. And then they're like, oh, I just see this big, like $10,000 payout in one account. I got money. And then, <laughs> but you're not, so now that I have sub accounts, you know, first thing that comes in when money's come in twice a month, I just like this percentage in this account, this percentage in this account, et cetera. So I know exactly like what I actually have. Right. So, and then my taxes are already like taken care of and all of the things and my profits there. So I can go like have, do little fun things. Right. So even as $50 profit, I'm like, y'all, you can do it, go out for a nice little meal or tea or whatever and, and like honor yourself, right? And realize this is this is what it's about, like also having profit. So I love that. I love that you hang out there too. So that that was helpful for you, the profit first. Absolutely. Um, and I got that yeah. from GPC, actually from um, the Grant Professional Conference, GPA's oh, yeah. annual oh. conference. I attended and my... Um, well, they're in town. It's the Grant Plant in Albuquerque. They're uh, cross referral partners, and they're much larger than my studio is. But I went to their workshop on how to grow your grant writing consultancy, and they said, "Hey, get this book, Profit First. Yeah. And I loved that. I thought, "Look, I have a neighbor here who's doing something in town. I show up at an online event. They tell me about this book, and it revolutionizes the way I think about my business. And but what's brilliant too about it is that then I can have goals for my profit. And if part of that profit goal is to save for a college fund or to take care of an elderly parent or to replace a car, then I can say I'm actively building the business this way so that I can accomplish these goals outside of it. And it it's a reminder for me to not give discounts on my pricing, yeah. not give writing away for free. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah, if you have 10,000 say come in and your business account, you put 30% in there, let's say, or 25%, that's only 2,500. What do you do with 2,500 then? Right. It's not 10,000. So, you know, like this much I can spend on my business. And so that must've been helpful for you because of the subcontracting. And, and I love that you went there so early in your business, pretty, like it's pretty early to start subcontracting out year two, like right away at, at four months out, right? Like, how is that? Because that's a big question I get, like how, how do I know how much to pay my subcontractors or it, how they interact with my clients? There's like a lot of SOPs that may need to be developed. You really need to understand your policies. So how were you able to get that set up so quickly to be able to even subcontract? And then how did you figure out that out financially? Mm -hmm. That's a really complicated question. <laughs> so we could talk for hours about subcontracting and mm -hmm. it's where I've learned some of my, my hardest lessons as a business owner, because I think coming into grant writing or nonprofit consulting, there are really two pieces. One is how do we run the business? And two is what are the skills to provide the service? Mm -hmm. So we may have the skills to provide the service, but we don't know how to run a business. Maybe people have never managed a team before. They've never sent out invoices before. They've never done bill collection. They've never done pricing. They've never um, hired anyone or screened for hiring. And I think it's very difficult to learn both of those at the same time. So yeah. when people coming into the grant writing space and saying, one, I want to learn how to grant write, and two, I want to learn how to build my own business. 
I am not going to pretend that it's easy. I think that both of those skills coming online at the same time takes a lot, a lot of energy. And I didn't have it all figured out when I subcontracted the first time. I actually subcontracted to the woman who gave me her business numbers. I went back to her and said, hey, I started my consultancy and now I need some help. Um, And I've learned some hard lessons. I've underpaid people. Mm -hmm. I've overpaid people. Yeah, yeah. I've paid people the right amount of money for their skill set and they've underdelivered. I've paid people the right amount of money for their skill set and they've overdelivered. It is it is a real learn as you go skill. I think one of the big crossroads I came to recently with subcontractors was coming to a place where when I'm looking at who wants to work in my consultancy, I realized I have to start asking people, are you building your own business actively? Do you want to have your own grant writing consultancy where you have your own subcontractors? Are you into that business building side of things? And if the answer was yes, then my shop wasn't the right place for them because they were actively building a shop. Yeah. Yeah. But if they said, you know what, I'm not into sales. I'm -hmm. not into getting new clients and and doing that work. I want to write grants. I want to do it as a sole solopreneur. Um, I want to learn. I want to have challenging projects. I want to have the support of a team. And that was more of the shape of someone who would work in my organization. But you know how long it took me to figure that out? Five Mm -hmm. and a half years. Yeah. 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 It's, it, I will say definitely I've, yeah, huge learning curves with subcontractors. Amazing. And about myself so much too, right? It's like, it will really show you like, whoa, what, what, what's, what's driving this decision, Holly, or that action, or, you know what I mean? And finding out more like, okay, this is also my personality and this is the way I interact and communicate. Like you got to be okay with you know what I mean? So like, so it's also like personality, but I definitely am on board with you. Like it, it, you know, figuring out too, what is my process? What is my process? If And then to see, okay, if they under delivered or something like that, is it them or is it the process that was lacking? And really me pulling back and looking at both of those items. And is it the way we were communicating? We didn't have communication. Is it there wasn't an SOP in place or it wasn't very clear, right? So it's like always going back to looking at those things. And I love my coach. He's always like process over people, process over people. And I'm like, yes, you know, you have to really understand your process. But I also understand like you have to like understand your people too that you're working with and what that means. So that's so amazing too. So it took you a while, but now you're like, okay, I figured this out. Like I figured out it's about where they're at too in their journey and how that matches with my company. That's that's one example of a hard learning experience that I had. But when you mentioned SOP, I'm, I mean, there were so many turning points in building my business, but um, I, I feel like knowing your people is one thing and also knowing yourself. So for me, I am not someone who sits around and creates SOPs. I am a big picture thinker. That was one of the last things I did as an employee was I Googled, what is the opposite of detail oriented? Because... <laughs> Here I was. I was in, I was in the two year, three year, five year, ten year, which is so helpful when you're doing um, long term strategic grant writing, where you have to go out into that space. But I had uh, an employee early on, Helen Robertson. I'll give her kudos. She was amazing. They're they're just great. And many SOPs were the result of their work. Many, many, many. 
and that was really a complimentary relationship. And I, I didn't realize at the time, and I've come to realize more over time, how important it is to have people on my team who have complementary skill sets because everyone's different and it just makes it more dynamic and strengthens it. So that's an example. I do think, I don't know if I agree with people over process, process over people. That's hard. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. And her kind of philosophy is like people quit, people come and go. Like if you only like leverage, like just the person, like more about like, it's that person who's making this work. And while there's some magic to that, like what happens if that person leaves, right? A lot of times these are subcontractors. They're not employees, right? Like things can happen. And and have, knowing that you have to have your processes set up too, where someone could come in and, and take over with the right skill set, right? So, and with the right communication and and those SOBs. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's a it's a huge thing. Yeah. So I love that. But yeah, so looking at your business plan, looking at having to have like your numbers sorted out, right? And having to understand like, if, well, how much time do I want to work? If I need to work, if I want to take off some time, right, which I really think is essential in a business, it really shows what gaps are in your business too when you take off time, right? <laughs> shows you like, can my business go? Yep. <laughs> when I'm not here. Um, and looking at all of that and then figuring out, do you need to hire someone if that's an intern, subcontractor, employee, et cetera, and working that together. Um, what other things do you really feel like nonprofit consultants out there, freelance grant writers, and as part of their business plan, they should consider? Or did that's you want to emphasize any that you've said already? Mm-hmm. We've talked about, we've talked about the profit first model. I would say, making sure that people have clarity on how much they want to take out of their business after taxes, because everyone has that number of this makes it worth it. If you look at the whole year and your profit is after your salary, after taxes, after everything, $5,000, you may say, please send me back to work for someone else. I do not want to do all of my own marketing, HR, sales, invoicing for $5,000. That's not worth it for me. So I think that's an interesting part of the process is finding the make it or break it number where, right, this is my takeaway that makes me feel I am, I am really operating an abundant business that makes up for all of this time that I'm spending. Or maybe if you get to take eight weeks off, or if you get to take six weeks off, I am willing to drop my profit percentage down uh, so because I'm compensating myself with time. But but that number, I feel like, is is really about clarifying values and purpose of of serving uh, serving your clients throughout the year. I think that pricing is really really big, and I know that Mandy Pierce and in the nonprofit consulting con- conference, at least the one that I went to, I didn't go this year, but pricing was a big was a big component of that, and everyone's always talking about pricing. Yeah, we did it again this year. Yeah, I was talking about value-based pricing this time. So encompassing your numbers, but also your features and your benefits, right, of your services. But yeah, because that's the number one question is, you know, it's always about pricing, packaging, sales, right? Like you, you get those like over and over again from nonprofit consultants because there's no one way to do it. And we all have, like you said, different values, different missions for our business, different whys. And that's going to drive part of that. But it is nice to have somewhat of a roadmap in pricing because that's one thing that will just hold you back from making sales if you don't know your numbers. 
an FDA. I, I remember GEMS did the survey for nonprofit yes. consultants. And one of the things that was highlighted was how many consultants were doing work that they weren't charging for. Yeah, yeah. And, and that well, really, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, at the end of the day, again, if you don't know how much you're spending, you don't know how much time you're spending and you don't know what it costs to run your business, you can get your pricing completely honed in and if your expenses aren't honed in, you're still going to be losing money. You're still going to be working 60 hours. So I'm a little over the, the heat around pricing. I get it. We all need to have the mindset coach. We all need to believe that we're worth more. We all need to stop working for free, right? There are some real key components, but also we do need to pay attention to time and expenses yeah. and not get our hourly rate up there. Because it doesn't matter if we're not paying attention to time and expenses. Exactly. I love that so much. I'm, I'm a big component of track your time. And they're like, but I'm not charging hourly. I don't care. <laughs> track your time. And that's going to give you data. I always talk about, I, I have such an emotional connection to data because I'm like, it will drive your business decisions, right? So at a click of a button, I can see this is how much I made from last year in these different services. And this is how much time it spent me for each of the services. And what that has caused me to do to say, oh, I need to increase my price or I need to stop doing this. Or you're right because I have data. There's not an emotional component part of that anymore, right? It's just, oh, this is a decision. So I love that. You're nodding your head. You're like, yeah, that's right. So well, and I'm thinking too about how elastic time is because mm. we all know that when you spend time with a certain client, one hour can feel like 10 hours. And you spend time with another client and 10 hours can feel like one hour. So sometimes there's this investment that's overly weighted, even though the hours accompanying it aren't necessarily reflective of the work that you're doing. And that's important data too. That's so good. That's so good. Yeah. Cause you're completely right. It's like that, the pain in the ass <laughs> client is like, yeah. that. Yes. Yeah, Rachel Waterman from Gems, she was talking about that too. You just have to put that in your expenses. <laughs> it's like, that's a line item. So good. So um, this is so great. I know nonprofit consultants are really going to walk away with this going, oh my gosh, now I, I have more of a roadmap on some things that I need to implement. Or maybe my business has been so frustrating and I'm not sure why. So this is so good. Um, but before we close out today, I also wanted to talk about we are, you want to also talk about collaborating and why that's important in this space too, because sometimes, especially as working from home, we're all kind of in these silos, right? And we are maybe serving in the same community or in the same online space or whatnot, but they're really like, you know, there's, there, there doesn't need to be competition, right? We were talking about this before. So let's kind of get into that. What do you, what is your take on that? And kind of like, your I, mean, I, think, it's, I think it's really interesting. There are lots of opportunities for us to compete and to um and to try and get ahead and i look at how i operated my business in the first 3 or 4 years and i i feel like i'm less competitive than i am today um especially in the realm of my co-consultants uh it in Albuquerque, one of the interesting things that's happening is there are a lot of veteran consultants who are in their 60s and 70s, and some are even in their 80s. And they've run consulting practices for between 20 and 40 years. And so they have these large suites of nonprofit clients that they've been serving. 
And now they're transitioning to be serving on board of directors and doing more volunteer work. I, I ran into one of my co-consultants uh, at a former client's cafe just the other day. And I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm taking a photography class because I'm tired of being the expert and I love being the student, but she was there doing fundraising consulting. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's really something to that collaboration of, and I don't want to use the word mentor necessarily, because I feel like there's this interesting hierarchical pressure that can be between a mentor and a mentee, where sometimes it's, it stifles the mentee's growth. Honestly, it's, you know, it's interesting how that happens, but to be in a space where I can say, okay, if you need this, I can refer you. So for example, the grant plant in town, they have a shop of 11 writers. You know, I have three writers. They they'll send me referrals. I'll send them referrals. And we get together and we chat about the state of the industry in Albuquerque and in New Mexico as a whole a couple times a year. And it's always the same thing. There's so much work. Yeah. There's so much work. The need is really, really great. But that surprises people. You get together with them. You talk about business. Oh, yeah. We talk about we talk about expenses. We talk about business planning. We talk about staff turnover. We talk about um, retention rates. We talk about acceptance rates for grants because it is hard work. Like, let's let's be honest. Someone said to me, being a grant writing consultant is like being in finals week for 10 years. And I thought, oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh. Yep. Always the next deadline. Always the next. <laughs> so as soon as you get one submitted, what am I going to get? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of pressure. Um, there's a lot of pressure. Let's take some of the pressure off. Yeah. And speaking of pressure, burnout. Let's talk about that for a minute because that's important to consider like running a business, just being in the nonprofit space in general, right? There's a lot of burnout. So I know you're talking about you have a sabbatical coming up soon. And because of your business plan, you're able to actually implement a sabbatical. But can we just talk about that for a minute? Like what's been your experience and how have you gotten ahead of burnout? Oh my gosh, it's such a huge topic and we could probably do a whole other podcast on burnout. But I I think one of the hardest things for me coming out of COVID was, I say out of COVID like it's gone, but it's not, mm -hmm. that I had to acknowledge that between twenty the spring of 2020 and the spring of 2021, our consultancy grew from four grant writing clients to 10 grant writing clients. You know, we had... Uh, several months where between 20 and 30 grants were going out the door a month. And it was just such a high volume. And I got definitely got roped into this. I have to, you know, I have to, the need is so great. These funds are opening their emergency funds. I have yeah. to write these proposals. I had clients that were coming to me and saying, you know, we had a retainer for X amount. We'd like to double that starting yesterday. And can you please take care of it? And at the end of that first year of COVID, I had transitioned from doing a lot of the writing to managing a team. And I was so tired. And it is, it's hard to be honest about the need to take a break, especially when you're running your own business. I, I don't know what your experience is, but there's a lot of momentum involved in that. Yeah. It, it is hard. And it's like, I have to like schedule it in advance or it doesn't happen because I get into it. You know what I mean? So that's been my trick is 
I just schedule it already and that then it's gonna happen because especially here I'm very isolated too so if I want to travel anywhere I do have to prepare that kind of goes back to your business plan though like you've got to know like what's going on in your in your world too where you can take off a break because we do have seasons right there are seasons of different things that happen where you know you're you're gonna be working a little bit more you know and then you yeah, you will. Like there's definitely seasons. It's not always just like, oh, I was working 10 hours a week. Like, you know what I mean? Like if you're driving a business, you get excited about it and you want to work. So it's also pulling yourself back a bit, but that's kind of been my experience is scheduling things out in advance and making sure that I take it off then. Right. Or just like when I hit that wall, sometimes I'm just like, I just got to take the day off and everything's going to be okay. There's always going to be things to do tomorrow and that's okay. That's brilliant. So what I heard you just say, if I could echo back, my way of saying what you just said is these regular intervals that are planned. So for my consultancy, we shut down December 15th to January 5th every year because very rarely are there grants due in that period. People are engaged with the holidays. A lot of folks are traveling and I've just learned, okay, we can do this. We're going to do it this year for the third year running. It was born out of the COVID crunch. And the first year we did it, I was so scared. No one noticed. No yep. one noticed. We shut our two and a half weeks. I thought, oh my God, we have to do that every year. The second thing that you said, you know, not, it's not possible to take these big expansive breaks all the time, but to take tiny sips when you can to rejuvenate. For me, I'm a bodybuilder. My little sip is an hour and a half going to the gym. I call it lift heavy things. I like to lift heavy things. I get out of that mental space away from the screen and finding a way to to sip in that relaxation, that change of pace, mm-hmm. getting away from the screen, I think is is been really helpful. I love that. I know and you just talked about going for a six mile hike today, so that's awesome. I <laughs> yeah. did. I got out there. The foliage changes so quickly here in New Mexico. So I did. I caught some of the some of the aspens and the changing colors, and it revitalized me. Yeah, I love that so much. And that's, yeah, we have the beach here. So it's always a nice time just to get out there and get in nature. And that's funny because you you mentioned get away from the screen a few times, right? And it's not just like you're, I mean, maybe we all have our Netflix binge kind of feeling sometimes, but also like nature or getting in a different situation away from a screen, right? Is so good. Like I feel so much more. I feel like if I need a, a Netflix binge day, I've already hit burnout. Right. So it's kind of the difference, like nature, getting outside, doing something away from the screen will help me prevent burnout. Where if I have to like lay in my bed and <laughs> Netflix binge, I've already hit burnout. So it's kind of an interesting way to look at that too. Do you kind of, I don't know, does that resonate? You're nodding your head. So I'm thinking that resonates with you. It absolutely does. And, you know, studies have shown that putting your hands in the ground or touching dirt actually lowers your blood pressure. Amazing. So there's a physiological response to being in nature. And I I do feel like there's got to be a corrective curve in here somewhere where I've heard people say things, you know, look 20 feet away from your screen every 20 minutes for 20 seconds. But let's take it a step further. Get up, walk away, go around the block. Then come back and sit down because especially like you said, we're in a virtual space. We're writers, we're yeah. researchers. I I went to a physical therapist once and they were doing the intake for me. And I remember the gentleman with his clipboard asking me what I did 
for work. And I said, I'm a grant writer. And then I looked over his shoulder and he just wrote occupation computer. Interesting. Yeah. Like she just uses her computer, yeah. you know, yeah. because looking at it from the standpoint of my, my body functioning, my ergonomics, my muscle, muscular skeletal system. That's all I needed to sure. know. Wow. That's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, the, one of the best things I've gotten is a stand-up desk and, you know, even, but it's still like, like I'm standing up right now talking to you even like, you know, even not even typing. It's just been so good for me, but not just to rely on that, just so I can work longer. Right. So it's, it's part of that too, is knowing those things are good timers, whatever, Pomodoro, whatever you use, right. All the things and tricks and looking away, but actually getting up away from your space is one of the best ways to really do it. You know, and even if it's once an hour, walk around your house for five minutes, walk outside, like you said, around the block, go pet your animal, right. Water your plant, like just like taking those space, like that, that space for your head. And I always come back more energized then. Right. So I do, I come back and I'm like, okay, now I'm ready to go for another 45 minutes or an hour. And then I'll take another break. So. hundred percent. And I, to, to go meta with it, I feel like whenever I put an away message on my inbox, I'm also signaling to my clients, who many of whom are tired and burnt out nonprofit professionals, hey, mm -hmm. I'm taking a break. I hope you do too. And when I receive away messages from other people, I rejoice in their away messages. Oh, look, they're away. Good for you. Go away. <laughs> Love it. I love that so much. Yeah. So these are all things. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about these and just being very vulnerable and like sharing behind the, the screen of your business. And that's been so helpful. And I know people are going to get so much out of this today, like how to really think about their business and how to take some time off too and consider that, that, you know, knowing your expenses is going to be an important part of that as well. Right. So um, anything else you want to say before we close out, Steph? No, just thank you for the opportunity to come on, Holly. It's it's a real pleasure to talk to you. And I want to say I'm an, op I'm an open book. So Stephanie at fundraisingforthefuture.com. I'm happy to chat with new consultants. I'm happy to, to listen as well. It's a wild and woolly world. And I'm here to collaborate, not compete. I love it. I love it so much. All right. So we will have all of your links in the show notes. And once again, you dropped your email. Where else on, online can they find you? fundraisingforthefuture.com. I'm on LinkedIn at Stephanie Sample and Fundraising for the Future. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on, Steph, and I'll see you. We'll have to come back on lot to get more into that burnout. We just touched it. I feel like we just touched it. So let's get back into that. All right. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode with Stephanie Sample, the CEO and founder at Fundraising for the Future. For all the great show notes today on that business plan and so much more, go to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 309. And while you're there, be sure to join our free Hub Haven so you can get a stress-free grant writing nugget every single week and also be announced of the podcast episode when it drops every single week. And get on the wait list for the Freelance Grant Writer Academy. We are so excited about this program because we have seen the results. We have seen people opening up freelance grant writing businesses, mastering grant writing, mastering strategic planning, and so much more, and bringing freedom to their schedule, getting out of toxic nonprofit situations, and breaking that glass ceiling of revenue. Yep. 
pulling in five to six figures easily. So let's go ahead and get on that wait list so you can see what we're doing over there at the Freelance Grant Writer Academy. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you get it right to your podcast listener every single week. And if you love this podcast, please do me a favor and leave a review on your podcast player as it does help other people find this podcast. All right, everyone. I'll see you next week. Bye.